Heathrow never feels good. I don't know why, like, it's a surprise. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, I got a, it's a funny story. But... You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 409 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Gentlemen, good evening. Can I you know? offer a quick uh, programming note for our listeners? Sure. We are not going to be recording last week. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true. Uh, did you get a lot of crap? No, I surprisingly didn't, but I forgot to mention it. And well, here we are. Also, uh, we, I, mean, I thought it would be funny and the joke landed as, at least with you guys. So I'm calling it a night. It stands on this one. I'm out. I'm out. Yep. On a high note. Uh, yeah, it was. we were traveling. So, so yeah. It was just not great. It was, uh, it was a tough week to record. Um, we've got lots of news. Um, the box cutter incident, Seth. Yeah. The, but needless to say, the TSA screwed up here. Uh, a passenger going through security was found with a box cutter. Uh, on Monday, the TSA made uh, sort of released a statement saying a lot of things in the pass- passive voice while sort of trying to deny some of the responsibility. But basically... Uh, they were using the fancy new CAT scan, uh, baggage screening, but mm-hmm. all, the full image resources of the CAT scanner were not used or something like that. Um, somehow there was still a secondary search. They found the box cutter and he had two blades, but they only found the blade that was in the plastic housing somehow. And apparently the policy is that they're supposed to confiscate the whole thing and either the agent offered or this guy talked them into well will you at least return the housing to me because you know take the blades out uh and then he got on the plane and was trying to put the second blade back in when one of his seatmates roommates whatever noticed it and you know things went sideways so flight diverted uh passenger arrested uh retraining of that of that officer in cincinnati lots of hot air kind of glad i'm not traveling this week because they'll all be on high alert and taking so, making things even slower. But so did he try to was he trying to use it or was he just putting the blade back in the box cutter? No, apparently there was also some threats and some shouting. So oh, okay, all right. Um, but I just this makes me think back to I guess remember twenty sixteen maybe or twenty seventeen uh seventeen I think the uh no it was yeah seventeen uh. There was a whole thing where, like, one of the early, hey, the red teams are breaking through TSA screening, like, 90% of the time with banned things. You shouldn't let that happen. And the, T- the TSA director came and actually spoke at the IATA annual meeting in uh, Miami that year and talked about how they were taking it super seriously and how they had reinforced all the programs and retrained everybody and blah, 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 blah. And I went through security the next afternoon at Miami with a can of soda in my bag. Completely by accident. I had thrown it in there when I checked out of the hotel thinking I'd drink it during the day at the conference. Yeah. And just never did. And literally got to the lounge and went to pull something like a sweatshirt out of my bag or put it in my bag, whatever it was. And like the soda can fell out. And I was like, and this happened the day after the TSA director explained to every airline in the world, every airline CEO in the world, how they're taking this stuff so seriously. Um, so, yeah, not great. Wow. Wow. Anyway, yeah, quality, quality security theater, <laughs> I guess. 
Um, so, I mean, I guess I mean, we can talk about it now. Okay. Uh, Heathrow, because it's security. Yeah. Um, it's a shit show at Heathrow with security. Like, that's the only way to put it. I think it's a crap shoot. It really depends on what time. I was on a 1.35 p.m. flight, which I didn't think there was a lot leaving. I know that Cairo was leaving around that time. I think there was a flight to Amritsar that was leaving at that time as well from T2. Um, but I think it's just the way the the security like dragons handle it. <laughs> well, well, so my experience there a couple of weeks ago was uh, they they take the rules seriously there. They enforce them. 100% of the time and pretty, you know, in my experience. And so like I've lost corkscrews there before. Fine. The rest of the world doesn't mind except for you in Singapore, but sure. You can have my disposable corkscrew. Yep. Um, but especially the liquids rules, yeah. they take very seriously there. When I was passing through, there was a woman with four or five bags and the guy was just standing there watching her, trying to get her to consolidate them down to one. And it took the entire duration of my secondary screening. And I don't remember what triggered mine because I basically took everything out of my back, but I left something in that I didn't really remember or whatever. Um, and it was fine. They just wanted to see it and then let me go. But it took like the entire process of me standing there watching, waiting for this other one to be processed, the officer in the other lane, finishing a screening, coming over saying, Hey, sorry, you had to wait. Let me get your bag. Da, 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 da. Did the whole thing, screened the bag again, gave it back to me. And this woman was still standing there like, picking through her perfumes, deciding which ones to keep. And, but that took an entire officer because officer had to sit there with her. Yeah. But I mean, it slows everything down. Yes. Like, so I went to this, the, in T2, there's the fast track security. I'm sure this is the same at other terminals. And it was, it, it was not moving. And the way that it works right at security in Heathrow is you scan your boarding pass yourself. And the doors open if you're valid to go through. And so I'm now past that point. Nothing is moving. I'm now getting to the point where I'm like, okay, now I'm going to have to walk a little faster to my gate. Not too concerned yet. Another 15 minutes go by and I've maybe moved five feet. And everyone's kind of, I think everyone in the line was starting to get a little nervous at this point. Like, is this re- are we, is this going to be every passenger is going to have the same issues or what? And the lady at the front's like, well, we're checking the regular lines. It looks like it's it's less crowded out there. Usually when this happens, they just open the side door. Yeah. And they let you go through the normal line. Not today. No, no. They pushed everyone back out into the main area and told us to go talk to the special assistance person to have them scan our pass at the normal line. So one of the interesting challenges is when you scan, uh-huh. it triggers... Uh, a check against when your departure time is, and if you don't have enough time by their metrics to make oh. your flight, oh, you're that's, booted out. That's about to come. That's about to come up. So, okay. special assistance was backed up thirty people deep with handicapped people that they actually needed special assistance. You can't scan the boarding pass again on your own. So I had to wait. I'm like telling them, I'm like, I just got sent from over at the fast track line because it was moving too slow. Can you please just scan my boarding pass? Let me through. Nope. 30 minutes go by. I'm now flipping out because I'm going to miss my flight at this point and get to the front and it triggers the, uh, you don't have enough time to go through. You don't have enough time to go through security and make it to your gate. 
and right. it just turns red. And I'm ta- I'm looking at this lady. She goes, "You need to talk to you need to go back to the airline." I was like, "I'm not going back to the airline." And I'm very aware of there's signs everywhere that say verbal assault of of people yeah. in the airport is a punishable crime. So I'm just like, "Look, I know this isn't your fault, but the other lady over there sent me over here, and now you're telling me I can't go through." I was like, "I've been waiting here for 30 minutes. This is ridiculous." So she tries to get her manager on the uh, walkie-talkie. At the same time, another guy is trying to leave this this line to go back to the fast track line. <laughs> and this lady is like, what? Why do you want to go back? And he's like, well, it's just as slow over here. And I'm like, see what I mean? Like, this is very confusing. I tell this lady this. And uh, she can't get anybody on the radio. So she goes, you know what? I'm not supposed to do this. Go ahead. Um, uh, the manager, I'll talk to the manager. We should have never have let this happen. I was like, it's not your fault. I'm. It's just frustrating because... When you're told to go somewhere and then you stand in another line for 45, you know, 30 to 45 yeah. minutes at this point. Um, I finally made it through. I was the last person on the plane and uh, it was very stressful. So, so what did you think of the United Lounge? D- didn't say <laughs> Didn't see it. <laughs> had, a, had a slight heart attack in the tunnel over to the remote gate because I thought I left my phone at security. And I was like, you know what? It's $800. Fuck it. I don't care. That's our one. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I I get it, but London security give yourself a lot of time because it's it's obnoxious. Yeah, I wonder. What, I do wonder. Like, was it something else going on, or like what the what the actual per per person processing slowdown was that day? If it was just people, right? In my case, it was other passengers being stupid. I I would guess it was that too, because from what I could see, they were having to send everybody through the body scanners in the fast track line not just like metal detectors so i feel like that's normal but yeah but i went through that i went through a metal detector in the regular security yeah. with no issue and i i all my bags went through i was really worried i was gonna get like secondary on my bag i always get yeah. secondary at heathrow on my bag but it didn't happen so i mean the one thing i have learned is always pull your uh, toilet tree bag out yep yeah. yep they tell you they tell you and i did well you they say in the U.S. too, but they actually care there. Yeah, well, they but there they're starting to use these new machines, which allegedly do not require still pull your toiletry bag out. Oh, really? Yes. It's yeah. It's, it's I mean, it's annoying. I wish it. I wish it was better marked and and they, and they also use the system where you pull the you stand in front of your tray, you know, and you pull the yeah. tray out, fill it up, you put it for whatever. I don't think the system really works very well because half the time you have to like hurry to get your tray in before the next one move. anyway there's 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 the person behind there is supposed to push a button that pauses the other one's flowing to let yours in but yeah you gotta like then deal with them and have them not dealing with someone else and you have to walk around the other passengers and people get freaking out about that anyway yeah it's weird um united now is giving uh status for reward flights uh this came as part of the uh for next year yeah this this came as part of the mileage plus uh, updates. So we're back to 2019 qualification numbers, I guess, as well for elite status. So only at 2019 levels, they didn't actually increase it from there, at least like some of the others. I I don't think so. Foz, say that again. They didn't. They didn't increase how much you have to. Uh, yeah. United didn't cre- increase how much they, you have to earn. They put it on pause. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's the numbers from 2019, basically. Okay. Um, but right, and but the the. Uh... Status credit for reward flights is weird, right? You get like one PP for every hundred miles redeemed or something stupid like that. 
it's every thousand, I think. A thousand miles redeemed? Yeah, I think so. So for an 80,000 mile flight, you'd get, what is that? Uh, 80 points? Yeah, I think so. I think that's wrong. But does not count towards lifetime. Does not count towards lifetime. Which sucks, but it's better than nothing, I guess. Book yourself one uh, 650,000 mile reward to Singapore or something, and you're uh, almost to 1K. Or save yourself and just use uh, just ch- ch- uh, ultimate rewards points and get lifetime credit. <laughs> there you go. Stop yeah, earning exactly. mileage plus miles. Yes. Yes. Um, also, the Star Alliance HSBC credit card is now live. In Australia. In Australia. And you can yes. earn art redeemables and status. Yeah. So it's a, it's a weird setup in some ways. It's smart in others. Um I have a problem with the math that they used, but basically, uh, $450 annual, dollar annual fee waived the first year. If you get $4,000 spend in your first year, you can get gold status with one of the seven airline partners. And so there's seven direct partners. So that's the status part of it. And it's, uh, Air Canada, Air New Zealand, Ava, Singapore, South African Airways, Thai, and United. Was that seven? With South African still alive? Apparently. <laughs> um, the, those seven represent 92% of traffic in and out of Australia for the alliance. Um, I assume mm-hmm. ANA is most of the rest of it. But um, anyway, uh, so you get to have a status partner. And when you spend the first year, it's $4,000, gets you gold status. So in United, it would be gold. In the other programs, it's whatever their bottom tier is that has gold, uh, star gold benefits. Uh after that, it's sixty thousand dollars and spend a year gets you gold renewed versus thirty thousand gets you silver. So <laughs> it's one of the only credit cards that earns you status straight up in Star Alliance. No flight requirements, no nothing. Um, that's interesting. The points earning is a little more complicated, and even that's not super straightforward. But mm-hmm. um, you end up with uh, a point earned per dollar spend, Australian dollar spend for the first. $3,000 in any billing cycle. After that, it drops to half a point per dollar. Uh, and you transfer your, when you earn them, you earn Star Alliance points and they sit in a, I'll say useless uh, sort of bank account, right? A program account that has no ability to do anything other than transfer out. When you're ready to transfer out, you pick which of the seven programs you want to transfer to and take a 20% haircut uh, on the number of points you have. So there's a if you redeem a thousand points and want to transfer them out, you get eight hundred. So you you basically pay a tax. So uh, on those points, <laughs> yes. And like, there's lots of my I can we can come up with all sorts of different ways to describe it. That it just it feels crappy from a in my mind from a customer experience or user experience of like, okay, I saved up my hundred thousand points. I'm finally ready to go redeem a ward. Except I'm only going to get eighty thousand out of it. But what's the rationale? I assume it's tied to how much HSBC gets paid or has to pay and gets paid for the transactions and the points. You would think that they would bake that into the equation. They did. But I, th- I think it's, at, at this point, it almost feels like disingenuous of, well, you, you, you wouldn't want to say you're earning less than a dollar, a point a dollar. And it's okay that the redemptions are at a lower value. Or you do something like Southwest does for every thousand dollars, you get 1250 
you'd only get eight hundred because that's or, how many you can. Of course, the other way, or the other way around. Yeah, right. You can say for every five dollars you spend, you earn four points. Yeah, I, I would have done it that way, even though it. Uh, I, right. The the problem is you you've got a marketing problem at one end, and you've got a customer satisfaction problem at the other, and you'd rather have the problem. Would you rather have a problem with the customer you already have or acquiring a new one? <laughs> right is how I interpret it, and it stinks either way. But I. I yeah, I didn't like the way that they structured that. And, you know, the guy, we did, they did a media briefing on Monday night. The guy's comment was like, oh, well, you know, someone asked, could like there be promotions or something where a program could decide to give a, a bonus to let you, you know, transfer into our program and you get one-to-one kind of thing. And he's like, yeah, of course they can offer that if they want to, but making it very clear that, that the program has to offer the discount. The program has to decide it wants to sell its points cheaper. So why would anyone sign up for this card? Because you live in Australia and you still fly Starlines, which is a pretty tiny market, I assume. Which is probably why they launched there. Yeah. Right. That, and so that's the other thing is like they've made it clear that they're not going to launch this card in markets where they have a active program or a member. And so for all the talk about is version Australia going to join Star Alliance with all the partners it has, the answer clearly appears to be no. So South African is still alive, but Ansett is not. That's my takeaway. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Falls with the throwback. Yes. Um, tell me about basketball uniforms and having an avi- aviation angle. You didn't see them in the terminal when you were coming home. Uh, which terminal I've seen them in? Portland. Uh, probably uh, the Portland Trailblazers have launched a new version of their uniforms. Um, their uniforms have a sort of sash angled stripe down the front of them. It, the stripe, it's a black uniform. Instead of Portland, it says PDX on the front. And the sash is the old carpet pattern. Oh, interesting. I did see something about this, but I its I, I didn't see it in the terminal. Uh, They're selling them in the ter- one of the stores the terminal is supposedly selling them. Oh, I got you. Yeah. I wonder if it's on the other side because of... Um, also, it's like it, a basketball jersey in the back of a random... Hudson News, why would you have seen it? But. Yeah, well, and I, I wonder, too, because they're partners with Alaska. Yeah. Uh, if, if it was on that side of the terminal. But yeah. Anyway, it's silly and whatever. It's fun to have the carpet. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a nice throwback, too. Yeah. Uh, Someone was complaining to me about how ugly some, a new airport, I mean, it was a new Orlando airport or something like that. I'm like, you kind of want it that way because you can trademark it and you can license the heck out of it once you, if you market it right. Yep. If, if it becomes famous. Portland has made a lot of money off that carpet they threw away. Yes, they have. Um, A380s coming and going. Uh, Malaysia shipped its first off to long-term storage. They're getting rid of them, I'm guessing. Uh, They've been trying to sell their six forever. And like, we'll run them as charters. They use some of them for, uh, uh, what's the Muslim pilgrimage? Uh, Hajj. Hajj. They use some of them for Hajj charters. Like, they've tried different things. Just can't do it. Uh, I'm surprised the Hodge charters don't make money. They they probably do, but then what do you do the other eleven months of the year? Uh, that's true. Yeah. Um, and then China Southern has retired its fleet. Yep, they uh, closed uh, them out at the end of the IATA season a couple weeks ago or whatever. So, and then Thai Airways is thinking about bringing them back. Yeah, you never know. Where, they, where 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 do you think they would they would fly them? Phuket. Yeah. No, I'm joking. Like Bangkok to Phuket, why, why not throw the capacity there? It's I mean, they, they, like they, 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 do they got two of everything, and they like putting capacity in weird places. So I don't know. 
I mean, they do fly some weird stuff. Don't they fly like a triple seven or something from Bangkok to Phuket and then onward to London? No, they've, well, they've, oh, that's gone. I think no. they used to, they were doing that back when Phuket was like, they the were Phuket as an isolated COVID right. thing, like tourists only world. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, they, as a matter of fact, Bangkok to Phuket, most of it's now Thai smile. Oh, lovely. Uh, and then Lufthansa is committed to... Which, by the way, you don't get lounge access if you're on the Thai Smile flight, apparently. Well, apparently United can't even interline with Thai Smile. <laughs> That's cool right. for, you know, a Starlines, uh, what's it called, member, associate member. Yes. Uh, and then Lufthansa is committed to bring back the A380 as well. Yep, they. I think they're bringing three back out of Munich next summer. So it is, it is odd. It is very odd to me to see Lufthansa's 744s and A340 600s and A340 300s randomly at different airports. It's very weird because I thought those were all dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then what about Airshow China? The, yeah, this is the, I think it's Zhuhai, Z-U-H-A-I, I don't know. Um, they're doing the, uh, they had their big air show last week and, you know, fun stuff like you bring in, uh, all the different suppliers. Airbus brought an A321neo to show off, which is cool. Uh, Comac, which is the Chinese airline group, brought their uh, C919, which is their single-aisle new, brand-new plane. It's finally certified, so we're expecting some deliveries of that to start happening in the not-too-distant future. And Boeing brought a 738 freighter conversion. Huh. Uh, the Boeing one is weird. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the point. Uh... Wow. I mean, is Boeing just not long for this world at this point? Not not at the rate they're going. Well, they also, like, they did their investor day the other day and basically said, we're not going to have a new air- another new airplane before the end of the decade because we want to design it fully digitally and we don't have the systems necessary to do that and we won't have those until the end of the decade. And what I don't understand is, like, the guys aren't, the guys and gals, the engineers aren't using slide rules. So what what is what is not digital about the design process today? They're waiting for the NVIDIA 10,080. <laughs> Should NVIDIA start making like a 797 model and then they can do it? <laughs> wow. I just I mean just don't I just don't understand what like the digital whatever Boeing like they they can already run the simulation and they're like saying that they can't run enough simulations like I don't know. That's uh, I don't know. That's a weird statement by them just because, one, why would you say that publicly, right? Like that. You're sick of answering the question, but you still like the market value impact. You just keep answering the question. Nope, we're not there yet. Sorry. Soon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You shut your mouth. Repeat what you've been told before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. And then uh, what else was announced? The E190E2? Did it get its type? Yeah, they got so they got certified in China. So they Embraer can start selling those and delivering them in China now. That's good. Which we'll see how that goes. It's right. It's the A220 is sort of expected to follow because it's the Pratt Whitney engine. Gotcha. It's a slightly different model, but it's uh, basically this derivatives of the same turbine and geared turbofan uh, process. So that was the last bit that I think needed the the uh, certification. So they're working through that, um, which is sort of ironic in the. The, the ARJ seven, the ARJ twenty one is there, and the uh, the C nineteen now. So, who knows? But at least there's an option. Yeah, 
Um, bunch of slot allocations came for summer of 2023. Uh, JetBlue at Heathrow, I guess, is the big one. It's the most interesting to me in that they got another permanent daily slot pair. Yeah. It's permanent um, or just for the summer? No, permanent year-round. Um, so presumably another uh, Aeroflot or something else, but probably Aeroflot lost. Uh, um, and then uh, who else did some interesting? The Star and China Airlines also got slots at Heathrow. Yep. Um, Delta in the five. So this all comes. There's like the slot organizer coordinator, the company that manages them all, publishes the lists twice a year, and it's literally several times. But there's the initial filing. There's the as happened and when the season starts. And so this is the advanced one. And then there's the I think there's like a season end or something like that. There's one other report. Um, but so this is where we're working on the how that all sort of start. Um, shift has Stephen. Um, Steven's trying to edit our document, but we have our timeline and more of our, our notes in, and it's driving me crazy. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, who else? Delta in the filing listed perhaps a flight to Austin, Texas, but we think that might end up being the Virgin flight, and they'll just take uh, the the slots will get moved over. So that's a, that's a weird one, right? Like, BA has their Austin flight. Yeah. Uh, Virgin's flying one now, too. So, yeah. It's new. But. It's, it's, yeah, if, if Delta came in with one, I'd be very surpressed. Yeah, Delta's also doing JFK from Gatwick next summer. Delta has a history of just swapping with its alliance partners. Like, they do that in yeah. Regal all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, and some of those, the Starlines airlines do it at Heathrow all the time. Surprise and delight. Um, so Delta, Gatwick, well, JFK... No, no, no. The, the difference is that Heathrow, they're swapping slots, right? But what Delta and its alliance partners do, they change who's flying the route. Oh. They change yeah, the they route. did it like Minneapolis, right? They Like a seasonal, like Delta operated in the summer and Virgin in the winter or something like that, or vice versa. They did something weird like that. Yeah, like and, and Newark, and, like Seattle, Heathrow for a while was going back yeah. and forth. And Newark and DeGaulle, they used to do that with all the time. Yeah, it's just, you're right, it's the ability to shuffle capacity where you need it is one of the nice things about the joint ventures that the pilots often don't like um but uh who else i have here gatwick uh air asia delta and bamboo all picked up slots at gatwick interesting um delta's is a jfk flight air asia is kuala lumpur and bamboo would be hanoi and ho chi minh city slash saigon uh delta picked uh a slot at dublin for minneapolis service on a 767 saudia from jetta to o'hare that's a good one lot from Warsaw to Boston, which I'm happy about. Are you though? Yeah, <laughs> eh, I wouldn't be. <laughs> I mean, it's great, but it's it's not. <laughs> uh, actually, my, the, the, my concern with it is that the connection banks in Warsaw often aren't great. Yeah, I mean, they typically so like most of the time the lot flights leave really late, which arrive into Warsaw fairly late because it is so much further east. Yeah, um, and so connecting kind of sucks. Um, so you, you don't get to your, if you're connecting onward within like Europe, you don't get to your destination until like eight or nine at night, which is kind of annoying. Yeah. But you can sleep on the flight over and depending on the timing could get out in Warsaw and walk around. Yeah. I just, I, I don't really like some of their, I mean, it's easy to find rewards on typically, but that, I think that's indicative of, you know, yeah. So, so was Egypt there for years? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, I've just had some interesting experiences online. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
Anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, and then a couple WestJet ones. Uh, they still have their Dubai slots, which they've been getting for years, but they finally listed uh, Calgary instead of just sort of open. So uh, maybe a little bit of hope that that one will launch on a 787. Edinburgh from Calgary. I mean, is, is there really much of a demand for Calgary to Dubai? Presumably like the whole west of Canada. Again, is there really a lot of demand to go from the west of Canada to Dubai? I, would I don't know why anyone goes to Dubai in general, but people tend <laughs> to do it. Wait, like, I would say maybe from like, I would say maybe from like the Vancouver area. Yeah, there's some decent I, demand. I would say if that was the case, Emirates would already do it. No, Emirates can't because they've got caps uh, on okay. the bilateral, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but Oz. No, we, we're talking <laughs> about with India, uh, not UAE. But no. That's the thing is Dubai or UA, uh, Emirates is capped on the number of frequencies they can run and the number of seats they can offer. Oh, I do remember this vaguely. And so that, that's one of the reasons they did Seattle was to pick up Vancouver traffic flights yeah. Yeah. or Vancouver passengers. Um, Which but, if yeah. they really wanted to do that, they'd pick up, Bel- they'd fly into Bellingham. That would be amazing. Who are you picking up in Baton Rouge? Uh, the folks can... No, it was New Orleans where you could connect down to Mexico and one of the original. I, I do wonder, uh, is this Calgary also picking up some U.S. traffic? Maybe. So, originally when... Um, in theory, maybe yes, right? When Originally when WestJet started announcing the 787s and whatever, they really wanted to pull connections across transborder. Delta was supposed to help feed it also a little bit. Um yeah, hasn't ha- hasn't happened. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I mean it's cool. I, I think uh, you mentioned also that Calgary, Edinburgh on the seven eighty, and which means that uh, Toronto, Edinburgh is going to be on the max. So they are consolidating the seven eighty sevens on the west side of the country. Yeah. Um, I you know thinking about it, Edinburgh is like the last United destination that uses a seven fifty seven across the Atlantic. Is it? Yeah. Last one. It's definitely interesting. Um, I was I posted this story on uh, the Washington Post. Uh, the 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 gentleman who uh, the terminal the the movie yeah uh, was based on has passed away. So he was famous for basically uh, being in limbo in the Paris airport uh, for years. Um, his name was Mehran Karimi Nasiri. He passed away uh, just recently, and I thought that was. Interesting, um, just because he has kind of a, a an aviation angle, right? <laughs> Slightly more than a bas- basketball uniform. Yeah, yeah, and he was an Iranian refugee, and, and his, his whole ordeal inspired that movie. So kind of cool and sad at the same time, but uh, yeah. Uh, what do you think about business class, Stephen? Uh, do you want to know my thoughts? Do you want? I would <laughs> love to know your thoughts. Well, hang on, before I say that, are you going to drop the f bomb again? Because if so, we got to put you in the bonus topic so the censors don't hear it because they don't get. No, I don't. Think, I, I don't. I don't think so. How do you feel about United's business class? I, I feel okay. So let me just state this: so uh, I was upgraded both flights um, to the United Kingdom and back, um, and I just I don't think I one. I think United banking flights the way they do. They intentionally make it so that connecting passengers don't spend much time in the airport. They don't want you to use the lounge. They don't want you to do anything, really. And if you're delayed, well, then, by God, you're not even going to eat in the airport. So have fun. Um, 
I think the biometric boarding, which I'd never seen before, is weird. I don't really like it. It takes longer to board a plane. Um, I did that at Chicago. So you hold up your passport. They like take a photo of you and then you board. It's very strange. Here's a fun thing. Ask them where that data is going. I guarantee they're not going to tell you. Um, it's just they, weird to me. Well, they, cl- they claim this is the weird thing, right? This They claim it's going to CVP. Mm-hmm. Except they're cross-referencing it for they're no, no longer presenting a boarding pass. So it's got to be somewhere in their own data. Right? Exactly. Yeah, I don't. I don't love it. I don't love that it takes long. I don't love that it's. I, I mean, you, you don't have to do it. You don't. At yeah. San Francisco, you don't. At San Francisco, they forced me to use it. They're not supposed to be able to. Okay. I just. I thought it was. I thought it was really. Yeah. Annoying. Yeah, it's coming. Right, the U.S. wants exit. Exit screening, so that's how they're going to enforce it. But as of today, CBP doesn't won't let them require it. As why? Them. Why does the U.S. care? They want to make sure that foreign nationals actually leave. And it used to be that form that you had to turn in. Yeah. And now that this that, that was unreliable, so I think it take take a picture of you getting on the plane. That's much more reliable. Okay, so they do it for foreign nationals. Yeah. Like, wh- why, if you're a citizen, you know what I mean? Like, I, I I don't know. It's 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 weird. And I don't, I don't like it. I've been. Annoyed by it forever. So you're, you're, I think I think we're the wrong guy here. But yeah, no, I think we need to be more vocal about. it. I think it's pretty. It's 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 clunky. First but, of all, it, so yeah, that, you can be as vocal as you want. You're going to lose. But yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry. So I think generally the Polaris product is fine. Like the seat and everything. I wish they didn't have so much crap on the seat when you get in on the plane. I, I don't love that. Um, I actually got on the plane, uh, had a glass of water. And told the flight attendant I didn't want dinner or breakfast and passed out. So I I didn't eat dinner. Um, and I just figured I would eat at the arrivals lounge in Heathrow when I landed. And um, I got probably six and a half hours of sleep, maybe maybe a little more on Chicago O'Hare, uh, on Chicago to London. And um, that's pretty good. That's not yeah, it's, it, it wasn't bad. Like I, I, it was a late flight, so it left at like 10, yeah. 10 um, central, um, which is why I booked it. And um, which is fine. But I think the value of business class thinking about all this is really the bit. That's it. Like yeah. United is United's not selling the Polaris lounge, right? They they can claim that they're, they're selling it, but they're selling it to the bloggers and the people who want to do fancy travel and are O and D out of wherever that that's who they're selling it to. I, I think it's a kind of gimmicky and I'll get, I'll get back to my thoughts on the Polaris lounge on my return flight. Um, I think the arrivals lounge at Heathrow is great. Um, to be able to take a shower, it, the, for the yeah, I mean I, that's part of the good news is that people don't know it exists, and um, it's the only airport we United saw in the arrivals lounge, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, they used to have the one in was it San Hong Francisco? Kong? Yeah, San Francisco. Well, yeah, and that one's closed with COVID. Um, they used to have the one in Hong Kong, and they used to have the one in Paris where they used the hotel. They don't do that anymore. I mean, they used to uh, use them. They used to have hotels at almost all of the European ones. There's a vestige of continental service. Yeah, and I, and those I, all went away. And those were really nice. Um, it's a great benefit. The, yeah, I would love it. I think uh, you know, I actually had a day off on on my way to work, but I, if I needed to be at the office, it would have been perfect. I, I got a cup of coffee and a meal and a shower, and I was happy, good to go. Got on the train, went. Um, then on the way back, I didn't get to try the lounge in Heathrow. Whatever, I've been there before. It's fine. Um, but the food, I mean, it's a twenty dollar meal, maybe. If if we're if we're lucky, it's twenty bucks that they're serving. Um, it was fine. 
it's passable. But yep. this isn't this isn't gourmet food. I looked at the prices for my ticket. It was if if I had paid for business class, it was seven k round trip. You're not getting seven k unless you value sleep at seven k. Uh, <laughs> so um, the Wi Fi was forty bucks from Heathrow to Newark. Uh, so I didn't buy that. It was um, forty bucks. Yeah, it was forty dollars. Um, and. It's the service is just, it was meh. It's fine. It's whatever. You know, it's, it's, uh, here's your meal, sir. Move along. And, um, again, the best part was the ability to get a shower when I landed at Newark because I had another six hours to go on my Newark to Portland flight. So I was able to get a shower in the Polaris Lounge. I had to wait 30 minutes for it. The lounge was so full, I couldn't find a seat, which I've never seen. Um, and what twice so this? This was five o'clock. It's a peak. And so I just stood around for 30 minutes while I waited for the shower to be ready. Um, and then I took the shower and I left basically. I, it's just, it's to me, there's not a, there's no, like everyone touts this stuff, but who, sh- who shows up just for the lounge? I guess people who are starting their trip in Newark because I, you can't get connections that actually take advantage of this to me. Like, uh-huh. I would argue with you there, right? You were coming from Heathrow where there's a lot more frequencies. True. So if you're coming from Paris or Brussels or somewhere, you might be there for six, seven hours. That's true. Fair enough. I'm I'm saying more on the outbound. Like, as United feeds traffic through Chicago and San Francisco, if you look at flights from the West Coast to those places, um, or even, I mean, Denver doesn't even have a Polaris lounge, but like through Denver, they give you like an hour and 10 minutes maybe. So by the time you're on the ground at the gate off the plane, you may have 30 minutes in the lounge, maybe by the time the next flight's boarding and flight. What's that? Until they delay your flight until they delay your flight. And then you're just running. I, so I, I, again, I come back to the, I don't think United's really selling the, the, the Polaris experience to people, um, on connecting flights. I think they're selling it to like O and D traffic and, um, I, I like the idea of the Polaris Lounge. I want to be able to eat dinner on the, on before I get on the plane on a transatlantic. So, I, I'm going to argue with you a little about the connection thing. Yeah. I, too, would much prefer to eat the meal on the ground before having, you're trying to sleep on board. But um, time and again, passengers will say they want the shortest trip. Shortest travel time True. is a factor in booking. And so, especially when you're dealing with connections, you know, if you want the... It, it was easier when the flight schedules were more robust. I think, but so. you used yeah. to be able to get, you know, I want to go the hour earlier. Okay, no problem, Mister Seagraves. But mm-hmm. these days, that's not necessarily a thing anymore. And out of Portland to Chicago, probably never was less likely, but less, much less, yeah. yeah, right. But like, you know, I could on my Boston to Newark to connect onwards. It's like shuttle service. It used to be. Now it's a little less frequent, but like, yeah. you know, there, there there is some of that still. Um. And it depends on the market you're in, but people often would prefer, and I think they're crazy, but the shorter travel time and just eat the meal on the plane and recognize that they're not going to sleep and don't care. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I, I just think, I, I think I, what I was telling Foz kind of through chat was it feels like we're just, it, it doesn't feel like the service of old. And I, I don't really know how to put it. It just kind of feels like they're throwing the food at you or they're throwing the service at you on the plane and move it on. 
and there's no real thought being given to it. There's no, I mean, even, even the check-in process with United, I find kind of annoying. Like they really move to like, they don't want you to interact with an agent at all. If, if you don't have to. And my flight was delayed and I actually wanted to interact with an agent and they didn't want to talk to me. And it's like, well, how is that good service? Like that doesn't come off as good service. That comes off as annoying and frustrating for people. Um, and it's all in the name of like cutting costs, I think, and you know, whatever. But I, I, I don't know. I, as I, as I come up to this Bangalore trip that I have to take and that's in paid business and I'm just like looking at the price tag and I'm thinking about the travel time because it's a full day. Like it's 28 hours of travel. It's, it doesn't, I don't think any of the American carriers, maybe, maybe Delta, maybe makes it feel like this is a, a, a premium experience, but it, it doesn't really feel like that on United. I feel like I'm just a cog in a weird wheel. So, but U.S. airlines have never really been premium. True, I, but I even think I, I would say that, like, I would say that, like, United or Continental used to feel premium. And I'm not saying that they were great, but I, I don't know. You flew business first, and they took care of you. And I, I but it, I it does depend on the crew a little bit. Um, yeah. but also, um, I mean, it's never that's never been the key focus. Yeah, and after you get yelled at for three or four years, you know, for two years, two and a half years by people. It's a little hard to come back and be happy every day, but yeah. no, no, I'm I, with you. Cause I, I actually had a decent crew on my Polaris flight in June. Um, not perfect, but decent enough. Like they were friendly. So it does, it does vary. Yeah. And, I, and the crew coming back was actually really friendly. It was a Newark crew. And I had a conversation with the purser and he was really nice, but it was, it was, it's more that like, I feel like I'm inconveniencing people on the plane. Or on the ground. And I don't, I'm not trying. I'm just asking a question. Can I just get get a glass of water? Or can I get, you know, and I get it. People are assholes on planes. But there's also a level of service to the job. And people, the people in the seats are the ones paying the salaries. Yeah. And it, it, it doesn't mean like you get to take a crap on. Uh, no, I'm not saying you get to take a crap on it. But you can't also treat every passenger like the one that took a crap on you. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's this, it's this weird dichotomy of post covidness I think. Um, so anyway, that's my thoughts. I, a part of me wants to just go fly a Middle East carrier to Bangalore. Um, cause I'm dreading 17 and a half hours on United Polaris in a middle seat, you know, like in a middle section seat. Um, yeah. So I don't know, like hopefully they feed us more on that flight. Doubtful. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's my thoughts. I, it's just it feels very un business class like. I was telling Foz the the floor in the Polaris Lounge was, was sticky. Um and I th- I thought that was weird. Like that should be like one thing. I, I left a review with or a survey with United saying it was pretty dirty, the whole place was. So anyway, we can move on. Uh Flyer. Flyer the airline. Uh its funding has flopped. Yeah, uh, that's the, one of the Norwegian low-cost carrier upstarts. They scaled back a bunch of their schedule for the winter, um, and we're hoping to get through, and then needed some more money and sort of didn't get it, but then got some more, but now we're still not sure they're going to make it through Q1, so. Are are they, like, why'd they cut back? Is it booking her down? Money. They didn't have enough money to fly the planes. Uh, so it wasn't like bookings were down, they just didn't have the, the cash. Well, I, mean, I think it's a mix of, right, We people aren't showing up to fly us. People and not enough people paid enough to fly us. 
in the uh, in the summer, so we don't have enough money to get through the winter, right? The thing about, especially in the European low cost carrier world, is like you you get by on life support through the winter and yeah. thrive in the summer. You can stuff your cheeks with chest uh, with acorns or whatever uh, squirrels. Damn, this. damn squirrels! Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, and they're more than in most markets. So it's especially in the sort of Scandinavia stuff. So, so um, with them potentially being and uh, you know, down and out. Uh, who does this leave low cost wise in uh, Norwegian? Is still up there. Okay, and is growing. Uh, they got some slots in London, I think, instead of Norse for what it's worth. Uh, and then an uh, SAS, which is like weirdly in bankruptcy and not entirely sure what's going to happen there. <laughs> um, and then the Canada India expanded bilateral. So we had someone. Uh, uh, post this Brian mentioned this to us. Yeah, it's one of our one of our listeners and heard your complaints about concerns about getting to Bangalore uh, and noted that this is now available. So yeah, it's not quite open skies, <laughs> but kinda. So it's un- so previously there was a limit of thirty five frequencies per week from each country to the other, so five daily, mm-hmm. which wasn't being used, but also a cap on uh, number of seats in each market. Which was fourteen thousand, okay, per week, fourteen hundred per week, maybe two hundred. No, it could have been two hundred. That wouldn't have been enough. Um, it was some number. I'll follow up what we're talking here. Um, fourteen, yeah, fourteen thousand a week. Seem divided by seven is two thousand. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what was going on, but uh, I'm not sure how we got there. But I guess it's you could you oh you could go more than daily. That's how. That's why. Um, and it's round trip seats. So anyway, there's, uh, there's limit on the number of seats and, uh, the total number of flights. The total number of flights has been lifted. I have reached out to transport Canada to find out if the number of seats capacity has also been lifted. Hmm. Uh, and they noted that they received my request, but were unable to respond before the workday ended. So we don't have that information for tonight. Sorry. Um, but, uh, it's still only limited to six cities. Which I thought was interested. So, on the Indian side, it's Bangalore, Chennai, Delhi, Hyderabad, Kolkata, and Mumbai. Uh, Indian airlines are, have access to Toronto, Montreal, Edmonton, Vancouver, and two players to be named later. What what other t- towns would they fly to? Well, I guess they're trying to figure out which ones will have demand. But China, Saskatchewan, <laughs> like, like I would Yellowknife. I'd assume Calgary's on the list, but. <laughs> um, you, you don't declare it until your airline says, "Hey, we want to fly there." Oh, you okay, flexibility. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Right. So, Air India, or I mean, any of the Indian airlines could, but Air India is the most likely to choose Canada at this point. Um, if they came in and told the government, "I would like to fly to this city," and you don't have it on our list yet, the this government would re- request it, send that over to Canada, and Canada would basically have to say yes. Gotcha. Do you think? Do you think uh, Vistara would try Canada? Uh, not for a while. Right, right. It comes down to how efficiently can you use the staff and planes mm-hmm. and make money. And so, where's the demand? Yeah. And right now, I think Vistar is happy to go after slightly shorter routes. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe JFK or Newark if they can get into New York if they can get that sorted. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. I think that's the show. 
we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about in the bonus topic, including uh, Dulles finally getting a train and uh, a bunch of other stuff. So checking in on Avello and Breeze. Um, so I meant to, yeah, I meant to postpone that one. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so you had so much in the show, I thought maybe we'd save that one. But yeah. So, and we'll talk about uh, Brit, uh, British Airways and Uber as well. Um, so if you're a, a Patreon subscriber, stick around for that. And uh, we'll talk to you in the next one. Happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care. See you later.